Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Who likes going to the movies? Okay, all right. So we like going to the movies. In fact, our culture loves going to the movies. We love seeing uh, heroes in, in the movies. And so uh, I thought that I would do a series on a great hero in the Bible, and his name is Samson. And uh, Samson is an incredible uh, hero in, in the Scriptures, and I thought we should just l- learn uh, a little bit about him. And so we're going to start a series, Samson, Lies, Love, and Lions, and, uh, because I believe that we live in a culture that just love heroes. You know, like, hands up if you've seen Avengers Endgame. All right, so a lot of people have seen Avengers Endgame. Uh, great, great movie, but we love watching our heroes do stuff, you know. But I can tell you this, uh, God has been raising up heroes a lot longer than Marvel. And, and so he raises up people with powers and abilities. And admittedly, you know, they're not, they can't fly and they don't all have capes and, and you know, all the rest of it. But, but they, we, you know, we still see heroes in our, in our culture, incredible leaders and, and, and heroes in our community. And I think that some of the uh, greatest heroes that you will find around you are people that will never be celebrated publicly. Like, like I, I think the great heroes are single moms that are looking after their kids and just continuing to lead them towards God. I think that some of the heroes that we have are dads that work double shifts to put food on the table for their family and then continue to love their family well and lead them. And I just think we have heroes everywhere. And I'll tell you something else. God's not done raising up heroes. I think that God wants new heroes for a new generation. And I think that that is largely what we are supposed to do is to listen to what God says to us and then follow the path that He has for us. And I believe that if we do that, that God will continue to raise up, you know, just heroes from the disgeneration, from, from, from the people that are even within this room. And so I, I want to start this series and I'm, I'm going to preach a message tonight called Deal With It. And so I want to set the scene for you to understand the story and the background for Samson because, it, you, firstly, you're not ready to hear about Samson yet. I know the series is about Samson, but you're not ready to hear about Samson yet. Just look at the person next to you and say, you're not ready for Samson yet. Now look at the other person and, and on, on, on the other side of you and say, you're not ready either. You know, and maybe apologize that you chose the other person first and they are your second choice. But either way, just, you know, the thing is, you, you're not ready to hear about Samson. Because until you understand the background to the story of Samson, you're not going to understand the need for Samson in the Bible. And so I'm going to give you that, that frame of reference right now. And in, so even if you're a person that never comes to church, you're going to fully understand this stuff. For those of you that wouldn't know, the children of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt for about 400 years. And so God came uh, to them. And and, and if you know the story, he rescued them and he did it in the most amazing and dramatic way. And he, and he took the children of Israel and he led them through uh, the Red Sea and the, and the sea parted and they went through. And then the, then the Egyptians began to follow and then the ocean closed up over them and they got to the other side. And God freed them. God rescued them from slavery. And, uh, you know, and then as they were uh, walking around in the land on the other side, they began to complain and grumble. And so God says, I'm having none of it. And so he made them walk around for 40 years until all 
all the people that complain to die off, you know, and so just a little good lesson for you, don't complain, and uh, don't be a whinger, and, uh, you know, always, you know, just take issues to God and, and see the good things, and praise God for your blessings, and, you know, uh, and so, you know, for 40 years, they walked around, you know, the desert until they had sort of, you know, the people that complained died off, and then, and then a great leader by the name of Joshua took them into the promised land, and when they entered into the promised land, they had a couple of things that they were supposed to do as a nation. They were supposed to, and this sounds a little, you know, heavy right now, but it's true in, in the Bible. They were told that, you know what, you're going into the promised land. Guys, it's going to be great, but there's already people living there. So you're going to wipe them all out. And this is the thing. I want you to destroy all the nations that are around you, because if you leave some of those nations present and you don't deal with them later on in your future, this is going to become a problem for you. So you need to deal with it up front, you know? And so that was the charge. So, so Joshua leads the children of Israel into these, uh, you know, the nation, you know, into all these battles and God, oh man, God did some of the most amazing things and, and incredible stories uh, of his leadership and how they defeated the nations around them. And so there was this great time of war and, and, and now here they are in the promised land and it's time for them to, to enter into a time of peace, you know? And, and so Joshua makes this epic speech, incredible speech to the children of Israel as they enter into that uh, promised land and, and as they have now just need to start to settle. And I want to read it to you. It comes out Joshua chapter 24 verse 14 it says this now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity which is you know have your heart right and incline towards him and and be honest and transparent you love him and be sincere about your relationship with him and in faithfulness and in faithfulness I think it's so important that we be faithful in our relationship with God you know, just in season and out of season. How many of you would understand that God is faithful in every season? You know, we just sang this song tonight, you know, His presence is an open door. You know, you sang that. And, and so the thing is we need to know is that God's presence is always an open door. God is always ready to be faithful in His relationship with us. But you know, I've discovered something that even though His presence is always an open door, ours isn't. Like sometimes if, if anyone's going to be unfaithful in this relationship between us and God, it's never going to be him. It's always going to be us. And it's funny to me how in seasons of war, let me explain, in seasons of battle where you're facing stuff and things are difficult for you and you have challenges in your life, that in the difficult seasons that you can cultivate a deep and intimate relationship with God. God, where you love Him and you're focused on Him and you pray on a regular basis, you know? And I think that the thing that we need to learn is not just to do life with God when everything's going wrong and we desperately need Him. And since we desperately need Him, we're spending all of this time with Him. But if we could move beyond that and in the season of peace, you know, when everything is going well and you have got the the dream job and and your relationships are going well and and all of that when everything's going well will you have the same level of relationship with God then as when everything's going wrong and I think we need to be faithful no matter what the season I mentioned this to you because the nation of Israel are coming out of a season of war and into a season of peace. And Joshua is talking about being faithful and sincere. He goes on and he says, put away the gods 
that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and served the Lord. And if it, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Oh, I love that. I love that because, you know, it's just bold. Like imagine facing down to all of Israel. Like we're talking like millions of people. And you say, you do whatever you want, but my family and I, we're going to worship God. I love that. It says in verse 16, Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord, our God, who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples of the Amorites in, uh, who lived in the land. Therefore, and this is their, their heart, they say, we also will serve the Lord for He is our God. And so Joshua says to them, you are not able to serve the Lord your God. You're not able to serve Him. You're not able to do it. Do, do you want to serve Him? We do. Well, you can't. You know, that's what Joshua is saying. You're not able to serve the Lord. For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive you, uh, forgive your transgressions or your sins. I think it's important for us to note at this point that this is at a point in, in, in biblical history where Jesus has not yet come. And since we now live in a completely different era where people's sins would be held against them, the, I, I love the New Testament. I love the gospel of Jesus, which is that if you put your faith and trust in him, your sins will be hung on the cross because of the sacrifice that Christ did on the cross. So we don't live like that anymore. If you need your sins to be forgiven, God will forgive you. But at this point, he says, they're going to stick to you. And he says in verse 20, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having doing having do you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, all right, well, you're witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. And he said, right, right, well then, put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, just after this speech, Joshua dies. It goes on for a little bit longer and then, and then Joshua dies. Now, the thing about Joshua is, is that he was a great leader, but one thing that he never did is raise up someone underneath himself to lead the nation of Israel forward. So now they're living in the land, but they have no clear defined leader that's going to lead the entire nation. And so they developed what we have, what we call Judges, right? And Judges is the very next book in the Bible. And so there were 12 Judges and we hear a little bit about each of them and some of their stories just overlap a little bit. And so now if we look in the book of Judges, we see, see how they did on the promise that they made to Joshua that day. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to skip ahead to Judges chapter 13. And now we're fast forwarding a few years to see how they're going on that promise. It says this in verse one. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. I would underline the word again. The people again 
again did what was wrong in the sight of the Lord. Now the thing is, is that the issues that they had all the way back when, when Joshua was speaking to them before he died, what did he say? He said, put away the idols, put away the false gods. Come on guys, deal with it because if you don't deal with it, this is going to be a problem since you're trying to live in the land and it will not go well with you. So please make sure you deal with those issues. They said, we can do it, right? But now we look at the story and they that's exactly what they haven't done. In fact, they just relapsed. They just fell back into alt habits and here they are again doing the same thing that they said they would deal with and they didn't. See, what you don't deal with in one season will follow you into the next. You know that? What you don't deal with in one season will follow you into the next season. And sometimes people just think that they can change their, their, their job. They can change, you know, uh, the house they're living in. They can change maybe some of the relationships around them. But it doesn't always work. I used to work with a guy many years ago who unfortunately uh, was addicted to drugs. And, and, you know, because a lot of people knew who he was in the area that he lived, he found it hard to move outside of his addiction. So one day he said to me, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving my job. I'm, I'm quitting everything that I've done here. I'm going to pack up my life and I'm moving from Melbourne. I'm going to move to Perth. I'm going to start fresh, clean slate, and all the issues that I've had here, you know, they won't be an issue for me there. But then I found out just a few months later that the same issues that he had here were the same issues that he had there. And do you know what the problem was? The problem wasn't the geography. The problem wasn't the city. He was the problem. And he was the problem, and he thought, you know what, I can outrun my problems You will not outrun yourself. Wherever you go, if there's a problem inside of you, you just take it with you. And you can quit jobs and you can change all kinds of things in your life. But if you don't deal with the issues of your heart, they're going to be a problem wherever you go. I thought I would ask you a question to start off tonight. What are you not dealing with that you know you're supposed to deal with? What are you not dealing with that you know you're supposed to be dealing with. Some of you may not realize this, but your heart will begin to chart a course for your life. You don't consult it. You don't ask it. You don't get its permission. And yet, because your heart is inclined to certain things without you even being aware, it's actually taking the steering wheel of your life and beginning to drive your life. It's taking you in a direction. You might not even want to go there, but it doesn't matter because it's going to take you there anyway. See, heart defects determine your destination. So you need to begin to look at your heart and say, hey, is there anything wrong in here? Because if I'm not dealing with it, it doesn't matter what I leave or how I try to start fresh. This is going to be a problem for me wherever I go. Israel at this point in the journey, are in a situation that they would consider to be totally hopeless. Totally hopeless. Well, that's such a bad place to be. Because, see, normally what Israel would do is they'd cry out to God and they'd say, God, help us, you know, and help us out of our situation. But at this point, they 
are so morally backwards and they understand they've made so many mistakes, they are not even crying out to God. They have simply resigned themselves to the belief that this is going to be the rest of their life. Isn't that sad? I know some people like this that just are struggling with stuff in their life and they've been struggling with it for so long that they don't feel like they can go back to God to ask forgiveness again for the same sin that they keep committing and they're so full of shame because it's the problem again and it's just repeated and they don't want to go back to Him and say, God, will you forgive me again? Because it's kind of embarrassing when you have to keep asking forgiveness for the exact same thing. And when you get to a place where you've been asking for forgiveness for the same thing for so long that you feel like you can't do it any longer, that's a hopeless place to be. And it's sad because people find themselves like this all the time. And I think that one of the reasons that they find themselves like this is honestly, it's because their heart loves stuff that they know they shouldn't love and it outweighs everything else in their head. Their heart just loves stuff. I mean, have you ever loved something that you know that honestly you, you weren't supposed to love? Oh, that's so good. You're so much more transparent than the morning group of people that we have. They were just silent, but some of you are just honest. I love it, you know. Maybe that's a generational thing. I'm not sure, you know. But, but it's true that your heart can actually be inclined to things. And you can love stuff that you're not supposed to love. People get trapped like this all the time. Let me give you an example. Come on, let's be honest. I find people that get stuck in, in what they love when they come to me and they say, I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling looking at pornography. You know, porn is a thing that, that traps people. Let's be honest. Like, most people, when they first look at porn, they know it's wrong. And, and that's why they feel guilty when they do it. And, and, but they look at it, and there's something about that that they actually like. So even though they have the head knowledge that it's wrong, in their heart, they actually like it, and so they look at it again. And they keep looking at it, and it continues to be a problem. But the research is out there, and most, most people would probably realize that if you look at pornography, it's not good for you. It will distort your perspective of relationships. It will distort your perspective of sex. It will distort your perspective on how you see people of the opposite sex. In fact, most people that are addicted to pornography struggle in their personal relationships. And maybe some of you were single and you're like, yeah, but I'm not married yet, so I can't wreck that. Did you not understand that what you don't deal with in one season, you will carry into the next? If you're single and addicted to porn, do you think that when you get married and have the expression of sex in your life, do you think that immediately that your whole life will just change and shift? No, it won't. You will carry that distorted perspective from where you are now into the relationships that you've got and it will ruin so many of the good things that God would love to do in your life. Now, here's the truth. A lot of people know that, but they're still addicted to porn. And why are they addicted? Well, I already told you because they love it. And they know that they're not supposed to, but they love it anyway. For some people, it's not porn, it's just drinking. They drink too much. They know it's wrong, but it's how they relax because they're trying to quiet 
you know, the voices that are inside of their head. And so when they drink too much, they find a place of peace. And so they say, I'm going to do it anyway, because I just need to get through tonight. I just need to get through this week. I know that it's too much, but it's just what I need to deal with. You know, it's not good for you. Gosh, there's a much, an, enough education out there in our culture and society to say, hey, binge drinking and getting drunk, it's not a good idea. You can make a lot of bad decisions under the influence of alcohol. Guess what? People still do it, even when they know what's wrong. They just struggle with it. People struggle with stuff just because you know it's wrong doesn't necessarily mean that you'll stop doing it. For me, you know, when I was younger, I used to love going out to clubs. Now, here I am, a little bit older. I'm a pastor. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'll tell you this. There is nothing in clubs for me. I don't want to go there. Where am I going to look? I'll have to look around like this. I don't want to see anything, you know? And I just, come on. I know it's not helpful for me. Some of you are feeling guilty because you go to clubs. I'm not going to judge you, right? But I know that for me, in my season of life, you know, uh, let's be honest, like even when you're not in my season of life, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily helpful for you to go there. I just want to meet someone. Come to church. Don't go to a club. What are you looking for? Do you get the point that I'm making? And, and, and so I'm saying that there are some environments. It would do you well to learn what kind of environments you should go into and what kind of environments you should not go into because you're going to allow some influence into your life that you know is just unhealthy for you. You know, sometimes, you know, when I say to you, when I say, oh, come on, like there's some people love stuff that they know they shouldn't love. And I talk about, you know, porn and drinking and nightclubs or whatever it is. Or, when I say that stuff, you guys say, oh, yeah, they're all bad. But there's a lot of good stuff that can become a problem, too. Like, I don't necessarily think that social media is bad unless you're addicted to it and you're being socially lazy, and you're not connecting with people around you because it's easier to disappear into your phone, and so you don't want to talk to people. Now you don't have great relationships around you because you're just disappearing into the world that's online, and you feel like you're connected, but you're not. The next time you get sick, no one's going to call you. Do you understand that I'm saying that there are all kinds of things that your heart can just get inclined to, and you can love it more than you should? People that love money will always struggle to be generous and they will always find a a way to explain their greed as need. It's just the way that the human psyche works. I'm saying that in this world, even though we look at them and we say, ah, in history, we don't have these problems anymore. Yes, you do. There are so many things that your heart can incline itself to in this age, in this generation, in this culture, in this city. This is so relevant for us today. And there are things that you know that you, let's be honest, you just shouldn't love. Do you know what Israel's problem was? They love to worship idols. Yep. Like wood carved idols. And when I say that to you, it's almost like it has zero impact because you're like, that is so odd. Why would they be so addicted to idols? I mean, like... Was there no fun back then? <laughs> was there no entertainment? What was it about worshipping idols that was so addictive? Why did they love it? That's odd. Don't you think it's odd? Like, come on. If you take a quick stroll through the Old Testament, you know what you'll find? And they worshipped idols and they repented and then they worshipped idols again and they repented. And you know what they did after that? They worshipped idols and you think, why did they worship idols? What was it about the idols that was so addictive that they couldn't help themselves but worship them? It wasn't about, it wasn't about the little thing that they would put on their 
bookshelf or wherever they worshipped it, you know. It wasn't, it wasn't that little wood carving thing that they loved. It was everything they could get through that. And people still have idols today. Idols are things that take the seat of your heart, things that you love, things that you worship. You know, and if you don't understand why Israel was worshipping the idols, let me explain it to you. You're talking about a nation that were slaves for 400 years. They left where they were and they went into the promised land. And remember that they were supposed to wipe out all the other generations or all the other uh, nations that were around them. And remember that they didn't do that. So now here they are, this nomadic tribe who have basically been living in tents get the next guy and then move on to the next town and get him and we just have to keep moving and, and moving around, right? And, and so here is this culture that have lived like slaves. How, how many of you know that the slaves came out of Egypt, but Egypt didn't come out of the slaves. They still thought like slaves and, and for many of them, they still kind of acted like it. And now they're living in a land, the promised land, flowing with milk and honey, but everyone else had the milk and honey and they were looking around at the other cultures that were around them and they were saying, wow, These cultures are so impressive. I mean, we're supposed to have this amazing God, and how come our lives don't look like that? You know, you read these stories about the Canaanites, right? And I don't know, I don't know what you think about when you read these stories, the Canaanites. Like, for some of you, you might think that that were just people that were dressed in like, you know, animal skins with spears and. They just stabbed stuff, you know, like they were the barbaric culture. And, 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 and like, how do you picture them? You know, do you picture them as, as like a modern culture and for the, for, the, for the time that they were living in? Let me tell you something about the Canaanites, right? They had lived in the promised land for long enough. That they had set up incredible cities, like beautiful cities, and they were impressive to the Israelites. They had art and literature and impressive culture. You know, they, their political system was way ahead of everything else that they had seen, and they were like, wow, these people are impressive. And they looked at the life of the culture around them, and they said, How did they get what they got? And now here's the trick. Maybe if we did what they do, we'll get what they got. Well, what did they do? Well, they worshiped these idols. Maybe if we bow down to their gods and we worship them, we too will begin to have a life and culture and beautiful things like they have. And they began to get jealous. This is why they kept on getting jealous of the cultures that were around them. Listen to Psalm 73 verse 3. It says, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And when I say the word wicked, oftentimes when the Bible says wicked, it doesn't mean like really spiteful, completely evil people. It means people that don't have the things of God in mind. So they're just headed in the wrong direction, allowing the wrong stuff in their life. You know, we still have people that live like this today that get completely blessed. Come on. Did you know that you don't have to be a Christian to live a blessed life? You know? Like, I, you look around, and did you realize something? This may blow your mind, but, but people that don't worship the God that we worship have beautiful homes. And they can have lots of money and drive beautiful cars. And, and there's... And any number of ways about how they obtain that stuff, but, but they live blessed lives. 
And if you're a Christian and you're like, I'm doing everything right. I come to church. You know, I, I, I give regularly. I'm doing everything that I can. But how come their lives look better than mine? How come when promotions come up at work, they go to that guy? How come things aren't working out for me? Now, if you get jealous enough and your heart loves all that stuff more than it loves God, maybe what happened to Israel could happen to you. So you start to pull back from the way that you worship God to embrace a completely different lifestyle in the pursuit of what? Well, it's whatever your heart is hungry for. And can I tell you what your heart is hungry for? It will eventually begin to emerge. Do you know what James said? James, Jesus's brother in the New Testament, he said this, that whenever you are tempted, you are always enticed by your desires of your heart. You're always enticed by what's going on inside of your heart. See, sometimes, here's a good, here's a good lesson for you. If you are looking at stuff, and whatever it is, and, and, and you're tempted in any area of your life or tempted to go in any direction, the reason you're tempted is because your heart actually likes it. That's why you're tempted. Like there'd be a whole heap of things and areas that you will never be tempted in, you know, because you don't like it. So you can't be, look, come on, this is common sense, right? You won't be tempted by something you don't love, right? But if you love it secretly, even if it's a secret to you, it's a temptation, why? It's, it's, it's a dead giveaway. That's the thing that should say to you, oh my gosh, I'm tempted in this area. I didn't, I didn't realize that my heart actually did like that. Now that's something you've got to deal with. Because if you don't deal with that thing, it's going to begin to chart a course and a plan for your life. Let me, let me give you the subtext of what's going on in Israel The subtext is these guys don't follow the God that we serve and they don't do anything that we do and their lives are great. I quit my God and I will take theirs. I've had enough. I don't want to do this anymore. I want the life that they've got. And you know, all they had to do to try to go after the life that they had, they they worked it out. They reduced it to something. We just have to worship their gods and then we can too have a great life like they've got it. All we have to do is worship their God. By the way, their gods were demons. So let me rephrase. All we have to do is worship demons and we can get what we got. Sounded so much more serious when I said it like that, didn't it? But this is the issue and this is exactly why God didn't want them to do it. And then it it kind of revealed the contents of their heart. Because one of the things that they realized is that they didn't really love God. They just often needed him to get through the current season. And isn't that the problem? Back to the start again. Because in seasons of war, you've all had a season like that in your life. A battle that you're facing, a problem that's going on, a damaged relationship, whatever it is. And you need God desperately in that moment. You can have him. I think the trick for us, again, is to live to learn in the land of peace. To live to learn when everything is going well. And not just wait till we're at war before we cultivate great and deep relationships with God. To not compromise what we believe when everything appears to be going well. Let me tell you about something. You know, let me tell you about compromise for a second. Compromise is a killer because it's hard to see. And it's hard to see because it works in increments. It's little by little, just a little bit of compromise here, just, just a little bit of compromise there. And you start to move out from where you know that you should be. In other words, it's progressive. Let me read what Psalm 1, chapter 1, verse 1 says. 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. It's just the counsel of people that don't have in mind the things of God. Nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The thing about compromise is that it's progressive. This is, this is what this scripture is saying. This is what it's all about. Let, 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 me, let me explain this to you. Thank you, muscular Josh. You know, oftentimes, when people move away from a relationship with God, it, it doesn't happen in one big moment. It just happens in little bits. And so what happens? Well, sometimes what happens is people just start to take the counsel of the wicked, you know, and, and they're walking with them. You know, don't, don't, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. You know, walking, I'm still moving, I, you know, and I, and I haven't settled, but, I, but I'm moving and I'm walking and I, I'm listening to the voices and opinions of, of, of people. Hey, do you know this, right? That if you're looking for confirmation on, on any opinion that you want, you know that you'll always be able to go and find it. Like if there is some area of your life that feels like it's out of control and you're feeling guilty, you know that you could call someone up that's going to tell you it's fine. You, you know where to get the counsel that you need to alleviate the guilt of your heart. Do you know that, right? You just need to find someone that's also lost a moral compass and they say, you're great. And, and then, you know, you can do that. And, and if, you, if you were feeling guilty about some sin in your life and you didn't want to deal with it, you could, you could deal with it in multiple ways. You could take it to God, but the other thing you could do is just take the counsel of the wicked. And they say, that's not a problem. Don't worry about that. Just keep going. You take enough of that counsel and then you start to stand in the way of sinners. And when, when the Bible says stand in the way of sinners, what it's not saying is you're not standing in their way like sinners, don't go there. That's not what it says. That's not what it means, right? It's saying... Don't st- when, when the Bible says in the way, it often means the path. Hey, hey, don't take the same path as sinners take. In, in other words, don't take the same path as people that are not morally virtuous, that don't love God and, and, and are going in a certain direction. And it says, don't stand in the path. And you know what's really sad is that eventually people end up becoming so comfortable in stuff that they know they shouldn't be comfortable in, that they just take a seat. And they say, I'm not moving from here. This is where I'm going to stay. I don't, I, I'm, now, I'm sitting in the seat of scoffers. I don't, I don't care. I've gone as far as I want to go. I've taken the counsel that I want that only is going to reaffirm me in the wrong choices that I've made, but it's going to make me feel better about myself. And I've compromised to a point that I'm now comfortable. You have to be so careful about compromising what you believe and then becoming comfortable in it. This is a bad place to be. To have compromised to the point that you've lost your moral compass and you're so comfortable in it, you say, I'm fine here. And, you, and, and, and being comfortable here? That's bad news. I don't think that this is God's plan for anyone to come to a place where you can be comfortable about being so far from the presence of God or even anything that he says. You have to be careful about compromise. See, the thing is, is that if you're comfortable in compromise, you will just move away from God and you'll end up living a life that traps you. I've seen people trap themselves in the life that they love and it didn't work out to be what they wanted. 
They, they, they loved things they knew they, they shouldn't love, and the things that they loved eventually became their trap. It eventually became something that began to ensnare them. It just was no good for them. When I read the stories that we're reading here today, I read these stories about these Canaanites that to, to, to communicate with these people, to, to, to trade with them, to make friends with them, right? That would be to take the counsel of the enemy. In fact, at, at this point right now, Israel, they're so comfortable in their relationship with the Canaanites that they were supposed to wipe out, remember, that they're so comfortable they've actually began to sit. And things haven't worked out the way that they wanted them to work out. And now they're trapped. And they're so trapped, they don't even feel like they can call out to God anymore. That is a place they shouldn't be. The Canaanites were their enemies, right? And now they're, they're friends with them. They're, they're friends with the people that they were supposed to be at war with. That should have been like a warning signal to them immediately. Oh, we, sh- we, we probably shouldn't be friends with the people that we were supposed to wipe out. You know, that should have been a, a signal to them. Listen to this. If you have to move moral boundaries to make friends, you're making a mistake. You get that? If you have to move moral boundaries to make friends, you're making a mistake. You know, when I was in high school, I saw this happen all the time. If people wanted to break into the A group, they just move more moral boundaries. And the more moral boundaries they, I don't know why moving moral boundaries makes you cooler, but it does for some reason in this weird backwards culture that we have, you know? And so the more, isn't it funny? I don't, I don't, this is not even an Australian thing, but the more rebellious you are, the more people think, hey, that guy's all right. Well, that doesn't even make sense to me. And yet I, I see this happen. I, you know what I thought? I thought when I leave high school, it'll all be different. It's exactly the same in my workplaces, in every workplace but this one, you know? <laughs> it better be that way, you know? It's, <laughs> but, but it happened in every workplace I went to. And, and, when you're moving moral boundaries to impress people that you don't need to impress, you know you're making a mistake, right? Especially if you move enough boundaries to become really comfortable. And boundaries are always moved in increments, just little bit by little bit. When I read this story, I read about the enemies that Israel had. You know that they had enemies like, for example, Gideon was one of the judges. If you don't know him, he had enemies called the Midianites. And Israel, they loved Canaan, but their enemies were the Philistines. You know what happened? They, they actually moved out of the protection of God, and then they had to deal with the consequences of their choices. And I feel like it works so often for us the exact same way, you know? I, even though they had the enemies as the Philistines, you know what I think Israel's greatest enemy was? It was their heart. Because no one made them live that way, and no one made them make those choices. That was their decision. Because they loved what they shouldn't love, it led them to a place they should never have been. And it was their heart that gave them away. I think that one of the biggest battles that you'll ever fight is not against the war out there. It's the war in here. Paul the Apostle speaks about it in Romans chapter 7. He says, you know what? I find it to be a law that when I want to do what's right, evil lies closely sort of, you know, in, in that vicinity. Like, I know I'm not supposed to love this, but I still love it. I know I'm not supposed to do it. But if I was going to be honest, I still really want to do it. And there's a war that rages on inside of people. I remember having a conversation with someone recently, and they told me a story about a friend of theirs. 
And they gave me this person's whole story and their, and their background. And they, 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 they love God and they love church, supposedly. But then they went out and they kept on making terrible choices in their, in their life. And it was back and forth and back and forth. And, and, and eventually it sort of almost became clear that this person, that, that they didn't really love God as much as they appeared to be. They said to me, hey, do you think that this person has any hope? And I was like, yeah, I don't know. You know, that's pretty bad for a pastor to say, right? Like when a pastor says there's not much hope for you, like that is what we do. That's like our core business, hope. He said, this is a house of hope. People call their churches house of hope, right? That's what we do. And, and, and yet, you know, they said, do you think this person, do they have a chance? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. And, and, and I had a really good reason for that because, you know, I, I think that for people that love God, there's, there's always hope. But can I explain something to you that's really important about the hope that you have? Your hope is tied to your repentance. Oh, that felt so heavy. Your hope is tied to your repentance. See, you can't. If you keep making bad decisions and walking away from God and moving away from Him, How's your life going now? And you call out, God, help me. And you keep going the direction that you're going to be forever calling out to God. Lord, help me. Help me, right? And, and, and you know what you need to do? Just repent, which means you turn from the way that you're going. That's what repentance means. It just means a change of direction. I'm going to change 180 degrees. I was going to live that life. And now... I'm going to start living for Jesus and I'm going to start walking after Him and I'm going to start making better decisions with my life because I am maintaining a repentant heart and attitude. You know what? And guess what? I made a mistake, but I'm going to repent again and I'm going to keep moving forwards. And you know what? I made another few mistakes, but I'm going to press on and I'm going to keep going. And, and my hope is tied to my repentance. See, as long as I stay repentant and keep going after God, that's the best place for me to be to have the hope that I need to have the life that God wants for me. And, and, and you know, when, when people are not repentant and they become so stubborn that they sit in the seat of scoffers and they're so comfortable that they no longer take the advice of the Scriptures, they no longer listen to the voice of wisdom in their lives, they have taken the counsel of wisdom and they say, this is the seat for me. I'm telling you, this is not a good place to be. This is the place that ends up trapping you. It feels comfortable, but it doesn't have a good life expectancy. So if you find yourself constantly in the position where you're saying to God, Lord, save me, and you're comfortable in the seat of scoffers. Here's a good tip for you. Stand up from where you are, repent of your sin, and walk after God and watch your life change. I don't know how to tell it to you any other way. This is the Bible. This is what it says to us. We have to change the direction of our lives and, and stop camping out by enemy territory and saying, God, save me. See, there is a price tag attached to moral and spiritual compromise. Newsflash, you can't afford it. You can't. So let, let me ask you a question. Have you camped out somewhere you're not supposed to camp? Are you loving stuff you're not supposed to love? Are you somewhere you're not supposed to be? God would say, deal with it. Because if you don't deal with it, it's going to begin to chart a course for your life and you don't want to be there. I always say this, you're free to make any choice that you want, but you're not free from the choices you make. Yeah? So, so tonight, 
You can make any choice that you want, but you could go out of here and make a choice that would have consequences. And you know what? God is so gracious. He'll love you and He'll forgive you, but you may still have to deal with the consequences of your choices. This is exactly what happened to Israel. They move away from God. They step out from underneath the protection of God. They love things that they're not supposed to love, and now they're enslaved to the Philistines. I mean, that would be a massive season of disappointment, right? Where you're just enslaved. Like, I thought we had the promised land. No, you're enslaved. And you know why you put yourself there? I found that God uses seasons of disappointment to correct the path that you're on. When you have a season of disappointment in your life, it's like that war begins to start up all over again. It's the war. It starts, you start to think, hang on, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe I'm not where I'm supposed to be right now. And it's the war that eventually begins to turn your heart back towards God. And you say, you know what? I've made a mistake. I don't want this life to be anymore. Can I give you a little tip tonight? Let the tipping point of change be such a high threshold that the moment you step out from where you're supposed to be, you immediately sense it, know it, have a soft heart towards God and say, I'm sorry. I'm not going to go that direction anymore. I'm not going to develop a hard heart towards you. I don't want that to be my life. I don't want that to be my future. If you, if you harden your heart and you keep walking away from God, you're going to find yourself in a hopeless situation. But you know, you know the thing about God is that the truth is that no situation is ever totally hopeless because God is always gracious. And so the scripture that we read in Judges chapter 13 tells us a story about a couple a couple that God chooses. This couple, which are Samson's parents, at this point, they're barren. They can't have children. There's no fruit in their life. They want to have children, but their situation is hopeless. You know what they've done? They have resigned themselves to a place where they thought there is no hope for us. This is exactly where Israel find themselves. This couple, they represent Israel. There's no hope for us. I don't think we're ever going to have the stuff that we want. I don't know if we're ever going to have children. Israel says, I don't know if we're ever going to be free. I, I don't think that we can. But God decides to speak into this hopeless situation and take what was bleak and hopeless and never going to bear fruit and he decides that he's going to change it. And you know, the thing about God is that when he helps you, it's not because you're awesome, it's because he is. When he helps you, it's not because he sees so much value in you that he says, I gotta help this guy, he's so great. This, this girl, oh wow, she's gonna be amazing. He helps you on his value. It's because of him, it's because of who he is. That's why he helps you, because he is a great and powerful and loving God who wants nothing but good things for you and grace in your life. And so it says in chapter 13 and verse two, there was a certain man of Zorah who was the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, not Moama. And it sounds like that, but it's not. It's Manoah. And it says, He and his wife were barren and they had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. That situation up until God spoke into it was totally hopeless. 
this is what you need to know about God. No situation with Him is hopeless. If you have a heart that's towards Him, you can walk away from Him and that's your choice. You can do whatever you want. But if you have a soft heart towards God and you say, no, 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 I'm after you. I want you. I'm hungry for you. I want your presence in my life. Your situation will never be hopeless. See, this is why we say that the Gospel is good news. That's why the Bible is good news to people because God always, wants to help people that cannot help themselves. That's what the Bible's all about. You know, it says in in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world. You know what? He, He didn't love the world because they were great. He loved the world because He was great. For God so loved the world in the middle of their hopelessness and and imperfect lives and sin and problems and situation that in that current state, it says that while we were in fact enemies of God, that God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son and whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. For Jesus was not sent into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world would be saved by Him, He came to save. That's why the Gospel is good news. And it's got nothing to do with how good you are and everything to do with how good He is. But you can position yourself for the good things in this life by saying, God, I choose you. I'm not walking this way any moment anymore. I'm going to turn. I'm after you. I love you. I want you in my life. Can I help you to understand this very important truth tonight? That God loved you in your most unlovable moment. And you think about the thing that you feel most guilty about. At that moment, He still loved you. And that's why there's always hope for anyone that says, God, I want to love you back. Why don't you stand to your feet? Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.